You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. This is episode number 115, and I'm joined by... Peyton Carroll or Paydio 12 and Jake Gaylord. What's going on, guys? You guys have a good Labor Day weekend celebrating all your labors, all, all the fruit of your labor this year. It's pretty fun. I did, yeah, yeah. It was a great time. Good. I'm, I'm not glad working is always better. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now you know how 75% of the U.S. actually feels Carol. <laughs> COVID moratorium. Yeah, yeah. Dude, looking back on it, that's where we all messed up. We should have went on unemployment for those two years and just went and hunted all over the place. But that's one less day we could celebrate, though. I probably still would have made more money and got to enjoy hunting. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I could ask some of my cousins how much how much they got paid that whole time, but they've been on the they've been on the check for a while, so it probably wouldn't help. <laughs> they've got several promotions, so they'll make a little more than us. Haven't got any raises. <laughs> yeah kidding. okay so we're gonna do two things on this podcast episode it's been a while since we've done an episode i think it's been about a week so we're gonna do one our q a at the end of the show like we usually do at least once a week and before that we're jake our our beautiful co-host jake is going to give us a a question that he has posed in and it has regards to public land hunting and scouting and interpreting sign so jake why don't you go ahead and pose that two-part question part one we'll go through that and then we'll get into the q a at the end of the show all right so basically this is a scenario right so you're hunting a new piece of property whether that be a new private piece you just picked up or venturing off into a new piece of public and you didn't have time in the off season to scout or hang any cameras or anything like that all you can do is basically map scout where you want to go and then your boots on the ground consist of going in and just hunting it and while you're in there, I assume most people's going to try to walk in, find sign, and hunt over that, right? Well, when is good enough to hang your stand? Like, how much sign is good enough for you? Because me, I'm like a grass is greener kind of guy. And sometimes I feel like I'll see sign and I'm like, oh, no, there has to be better up here. Before I get too deep into it, I'm just going to leave it at that. When is good enough to hang your stand? What do you got, Pete? <laughs> well i'm the i'm the on x warrior i don't really <clears throat> do too much scouting you know in the in the morning of i just kind of pick a spot and and go in i i think if you're there for you know if you know you're going to be able to hunt for a few days try it all you know first set of sign i wouldn't skip it to go see if something's better i mean or if you're finding sign are you going to go really find a lot more sign somewhere else i mean if they're signed they're signed right that's my opinion. Um, <clears throat> I would start, you know, start wherever you see it. If you don't see anything, continue looking. But at the same time, I don't really hunt like that, so I don't have a very good opinion on it. For me, I would say um, I look for sign in bunches. So you can, it's easy to find signs. So like you, sometimes you'll walk in and you'll see tracks or you'll find a singular trail what I'm really looking for is, and when I stop is when I see a lot of those things kind of coming together. So you got trails or you see not just like one rub, but a group of rubs or a 
tracks coming from multiple directions. If I find a few of those things in the same spot, that's kind of the, the, the sort of time where I would, I would stop because sometimes walking around and doing more traveling, you could do more harm than good. And I think a lot of people end up doing that to the point where they bump deer and you have to have hunted several or hunted for a while in that kind of spot, good sign, hang and hunt sort of style to be comfortable doing that because you'll just inevitably, you'll just keep walking until you can find exactly what you're looking for. And I'm, I'm one of the people that I never think it's going to be perfect. Like the spot's never going to be perfect. You're going to find, never going to find the perfect tree or the perfect intersection. Maybe you will. But for me, I just, I just kind of look for that good enough spot. See, and I think that's where I kind of fault from is remember that time. I think you already tagged out. It might've been last year, but we went and hunted that Booner spot. You and I did. And that's when we saw that, that pig we thought was a deer. Yeah. Well, I would have sat there for 30 more minutes trying to pick a tree. And you were just like, let's just hang in this one. It's good. And I'm that person that that literally sat there for 30, 45 minutes, just staring up at the tree canopies. Like, hmm, what about this one? Looking around like, and that, and that's kind of the, the problem I run into with sign too. Like I haven't did a whole lot of like, you know, walking and then finding sign and sitting up on there. Like I don't do it as, as often as your brother, Peyton Cooper. And so I'm hoping this year I can start really dipping my toes in the water on that. But I already know that's something I w- I'm going to be running into. So I just kind of want to put that out there. That's a good point. I mean, <clears throat> it's, I think when you're hunting a place like you, the scenario that you set up, a place that you haven't scouted before and a place you haven't hunted before, realistically speaking, if you shoot a deer on the first set off of sign, there's going to be some luck involved in that anyways. So you could find the perfect tree and be like, oh, well, the, the one that I walked by 40 yards ago was actually the right tree. And I didn't know i'm one of those people that like you you're never going to figure it out by not being in a tree and i think walking around can do more more harm than being in the wrong tree i mean think about a bow like you can shoot your bow zero to 70 yards 60 yards pretty accurately i mean 40 for me but realistically speaking 90 for peyton 90 for pate so (laughs) to me being 10 yards in the wrong direction isn't going to be the make or break of killing a deer and not killing a deer maybe but that and plus like a good pro to just setting up where sign is good enough would be that even if it ain't kind of like you're saying if it ain't the perfect tree that could be a great observation set so maybe put yourself in a position for that maybe try to make it a 60 percent observation set and then a 40 percent like hey try to make yourself a little bit in the chips just in case something crazy happens well, how have we found a lot of the, a lot of the areas, the good areas that we found on public where we've hunted and killed deer have been areas where we have hunted near there before, but not exactly there. So we've hunted 200 yards away, or for instance, where Jared Hayes shot a buck in 2016, I hunt, I hunt like 300 yards away from there. And now I've killed two bucks out of a tree in there. Yeah. You and, piggyback the crap off him. That's right. Well, it was my spot to begin <laughs> with, but you know, you, you, we found those things out by being like, I'm in the tree and I, uh, I observed deer over in this area or I heard things over in this area. And then you make that micro adjustment. Sometimes it's not as easy as just moving to an area and finding sign. I think you sit in a tree more often times than not and see something and then make an adjustment 
um, over that. But in my experience, I'd rather be a little more, it's kind of a balance because on one hand you want to be aggressive. Like you want to be, when you see that deer for the first time, you want to be able to kill that deer. But at the same time, if I could sit back and observe 50 yards away, maybe I can get a little closer the next time. So I think that's a difference of styles too. Yeah. And that also might, might change based on what time of the year it is. Right. Because more than likely if it's full fledged rut, like let's say it's November, let's go 10th down where we hunt Southeast. They're going to be chasing. They're going to be chasing hard. So that one, that one sighting might be the only time you see that buck versus, you know, uh, let's say you're in Carol's leases, you know, like if you see that buck, which I know that's kind of a different scenario, maybe bring it back to public on, you know, let's say the community center or maybe uh, rattlesnake for Carol. And it's like mid October and you see that buck, I think you'd still have a chance to maybe make a move, but yeah, I, I kind of see what you're saying. I think the distinction too was like, you have to have two different approaches for private versus public like public it wouldn't really bother me if I kept walking and I jumped up a buck. I'd be like, well, there's one here, mm-hmm. you know, that would get me excited. If I did the same thing on my lease, I would be pissed. Right. Right. So on my private or even on one of the places that me and Carol lease, like you said, I am willing to hunt on those outer edges and not be in the exact spot that I want to be in so that those deer can remain unpressured and hopefully stay on the property. So but on public, I'll, I'll get up in there. Yeah. Yeah. It might've been, that the Andy May one that 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 kind of said that you know how the other day we were talking about that podcast I think it was Wired to Hunt where he had Andy May on here here recently yep and he was talking about and which we kind of already knew this but it just kind of it always feels good when 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 someone like that you know uh, gives you reassurance but he was saying that bumping deer is just part of it you might bump a giant but the thing is on those either out of state hunts or the short hunts you know I know like like five, six, seven days is a pretty long time to hunt. But when we're down there in Southern Oklahoma, it's like he was saying that you walk until you find deer, because if you don't bump deer, then you're not in the deer. And it's just like one of those things that you have to be comfortable with blowing it. If that makes sense. Yeah. And it seems really now that the more we talk about it, the more I think it's extremely situational because on a weekend, if like let's say you and I and Carol all went and got a tag in Arkansas and we had three days to hunt, I'm going to hunt completely differently on a three-day trip than I am on a seven-day trip. And I'm also right. going to hunt differently differently based on if I've scouted the spot before or I haven't scouted the spot before. If I haven't scouted the spot before, it's basically like, you know, um, all bets are off. I'm going as hard as I can and I'm willing to mess it up to figure something out. Right. But on those longer trips, you can afford yourself a little bit more time to be cautious and especially like so kansas is a good example this year we've spent two weekends scouting kansas i feel comfortable enough at kansas where i would rather sit 10 20 30 yards further away from what i think might be the x if it's not the perfect wind or the perfect access or something in order to not blow out that spot because i have good like pretty high confidence in that Mm -hmm. area so it i think it's really really situational yeah yeah i agree what would you do pate I'm the, I'm the same way. I mean, if you have time, <clears throat> just give everything a shot. I mean, change it up. Why wouldn't you? Um, but if you don't have a lot of time, 
like you said, why why would you not walk it out? See what you, see what you can do in the two or three days. Just be aggressive. So, Carol, let's say you're doing that. You're going into Kansas, or you're going down to our Oklahoma spot, and you're hunting a new area. What what's a sign that would make you say, okay, this is good enough. I'm going to set up on. <clears throat> what Christian was saying earlier about the, you know, you hunt where track meets. I like the funnel points. I always look for funnel points. Those are my favorite. So first of all, I would get on Onyx and see, you know, obviously judge went, Hey, if they were to come from this way, what's going to happen wind wise and kind of base it off that because you're, they're going to get downwind of you. You're probably not going to have, you're going to be really relying on luck if they're downwind of you. So you have to base it off that and just get there early. Take a look around. I mean, if you see rubs, great. You know, if you see tracks, great, but I'm kind of like you, how you were mentioning earlier, Jake, where I get there, I see a tree, I see another tree 50 yards away and I'm like, oh, which one, which one? Mm-hmm. And I sit there, I sit all my stuff down and I go through all the possible scenarios in my head when I really just like Christian said, you just got to pick, I mean, just yeah. pick one. If you're on the wrong one, you can make that, you know, you can make that move the next time. But it sounds like you really like the the topographical kind of scouting too, of like finding this spot and being like, well, based on what I know, this is why this would be good if these things are true. And what, what like piece of sign would make you like stop and be like, I'm not going to go another foot. Is it like 10, is it 10 rubs in a row? Is it a scrape? Like three trails coming together, like stuff that you couldn't see on the map. What would make (sighs) you be like, no. Yeah. See, I mean, just when I, I, I think it's not so much sign, but it's my confidence of am I willing to sit here in this spot for three hours, you know, or am I going to find something better than I'm willing to sit in for three hours and wait? Um, when I start getting that confidence of, okay, I, I could really see a deer using this. I could really see, you know, one coming through here. Um, so, rubs so- are the best. I would say it gives me that, that hype of, okay, well something Fuck. with horns. Yeah. Have has used this at one point, probably recently. But yeah, I just look for funnel points and I say when I stop, the judgment of that is when that confidence meter hits where I'm like, okay, I, I can really see. So I can see it, them using this. it's not so much the sign that, that catches your eye. I mean, it is to a certain point, but for the most part, you kind of base it off like your gut feeling or like your instinct or something like that. Yeah. So like, for example, at Rattlesnake, what I, what but, I, by saw, the way, before we go any further, Rattlesnake Community Center. These are nicknames for spots that we have on public. Oh, no, they're not. No, no, those are actual road names. So just go look them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> anyway, so go ahead. like, for example, on Rattlesnake, the what caught my eye of, hey, it was like a T. Like the ridge comes up and then the ridge, another ridge crosses. And it was, I was like, hey, if they use either one of these and walk down these, I have four possible, well, three possible ways that I can shoot at if they walk down this ridge other than wind, you know, wind's going to eliminate one, but just stuff like that. I would say where ridges meet funnel points, you know, tracks where tracks meet just more funnel points. If I see a funnel point that really boosts that confidence meter where, Hey, this is, this is where I'm going to try. But I also got too caught up sitting and, you know, trying one spot for too long instead of taking that extra, extra step and saying, okay, time to move on. One of the spots we, uh, the spot we hunt the most in Oklahoma on public is a place that you can do really good topographical map scouting. And the sign is worse on the ground than it is, obvi- like a lot of times looking it out on the map. 
like on the ground, there's very little trails. There's very little tracks. I mean, you're, you can see rubs. The, the sign is really hard to see. Like it's one of those spots where you walk around and you're like, this could be good. And then you walk to the next one. You're like, this could be good. You know, it's one of those spots. And I feel like those spots are kind of the hardest to discern. Should I sit here? Should I sit there? And that's probably why you guys spend so much time looking up at the tree. It's not like when we walk in Kansas where it's like, okay, there's one finger, there's two ag fields. There's one good wind to hunt here. If I'm in the wrong tree, I'm five yards off. Whereas where we hunt in Oklahoma, you might be 200 or 300 yards off. And if you're 200 yards off in Oklahoma where we hunt, you're not seeing a deer. Yeah, you're not. Yeah. You're not. I, I get maybe 50 yards of visibility. You have to really rely on hearing one. And 90% of the time, 99% of the time, it's not. It's not a deer. But yeah, in Kansas, it's just a little different. I mean, like you said, hey, we're in a field that's, you know, 100, 140 acre field, whatever it may be. Where are the deer going to be? They have to be on this ridge. If they're here, they will be here. That's a little different. You can make a judgment, but in the other spots, you know, in Oklahoma that we hunt, it's not like that. There is no ag field. You can be, you can be a hundred yards away from 10 deer and you wouldn't even know. You wouldn't even see one of them. Well, that's the thing. Uh, there was one time in 2020 where we all sat relatively close and me and Carol were probably only what, like maybe 150, 200 yards away, maybe, and seeing completely different deer. Yeah, that's true. What's that sign for you, Jake, that makes you stop and say, if I see these things together or this combination of things or this one thing that will make me sit up there immediately? It's usually when I see an SD card and a camera on a tree. That's where I'm like, this is the ticket. This is the ticket. But uh, yeah, that's that stopped me from from venturing off in the past is just like those trail cam picks that we've got during the summer and all that stuff. But I don't know, like kind of like you were, y'all were saying like signs, not super abundant down there. So, I mean, it's, and it's so dang rocky. It's like, you can hardly see any scrapes on the ground or anything like that. And so basically, basically all you're looking for is all you can basically see is rubs. And I mean, and of course we all know rubs are kind of hit or miss depending on like, like, because they can be made on, in all times of the year, basically. Like, I guess if, you get that one area that has quite a few rubs, but just made at a different time where you can see maybe, okay, this one was an old rub. This one looks fresh. There's, you know, like there's still sap on it and crap like that. That's kind of where I'd be like, okay, we're in the chips. But in all honesty down there, if you even see rub, it's like, okay, hold up. Let's take a good look at this place. See what it's about. Do you remember last year? So we just released a YouTube video of a public land buck killed last year on the YouTube. But do you remember, I, I was, I remembered it cause I was watching back in the video when I was editing it, when we walked into the community center and everyone was appalled by how many rubs were in there. Like it mm-hmm. was like, there was old rubs, new rubs, all kinds new of rubs, rubs, red rubs. Yeah. There was like dozens of rubs on your way in. And I think one thing that we've gotten used to in hunting that part of Oklahoma is that we've gotten pretty good at reading maps and top like, picking a spot that could be good based on just topographical features or terrain features coming together and haven't really had as much experience just reading sign. Cause you don't get to, you don't get that many reps at sign. Obviously we've read sign on private land and other public pieces we've hunt, but the main place that we hunt, it's kind of like, can't really do that that much. Mm-hmm. So you it makes it a little more difficult. Yeah. You just base it off like, like funnels and, and those sort of terrain features. Like 
okay, you know, they're, you know, deer use these type of features. So this is what we're going to set up on. And like, that's, that's all you can base it off of. What was the second part of that question that you were going to pose? The first part of the question. And then the second thing I think you asked was if you go too far, let's say you find good. Sign, uh, okay. Yeah. All right. You know it now. I mean, you can take it away if you want. Okay. It doesn't matter. If you, if you find good sign and you do have that grass is always greener on the other side kind of approach and you keep going into that sign and realize what you had, you know, maybe a hundred yards back was the best stuff you'd seen. Does that affect your hunt? Will that, will that be detrimental? What do you think? I don't know. That's why I asked the question. I've, I've tried listening to other podcasts about it and stuff like that, but from what I've heard for the most part, yeah, it could. And it probably will hurt the hunt because I mean, it's a brand new spot. You don't know. And especially down there where we hunt, kind of like we already said, mentioned 12 times already in this podcast, there's no defined trails or anything like that. So you really don't know where the deer are going to come from or walk to or anything like that. So you don't know if you just sent it up their whole trail through it. So if they do decide to come right by where you were going to sit to maybe check a rub or check a scrape or, or, or do something along those lines, they might already run into your trail. And we have plenty of footage of deer busting us just from our walk-ins. I mean, that's what happened to me last year. And so he didn't take another step past that, past that point of my trail. He just turned, hightailed it. And it's just, that's, that's kind of what I run into is like, okay, you probably don't need to go back. Cause everybody knows like your first sit in a new spot is your best sit. And the reason that is, is because the human presence, you get sent, you get, you know, walking in and out, not just a scent. Maybe you bust a deer or two. Okay, now they're on a little bit of alert. And yeah, I just, I, I wouldn't think that would be a good idea to walk and then go back through. If anything, you might as well just use that evening and scout the rest of the way. And maybe try to find a better spot. And you, as soon as you find that sign, even if it ain't as good, sit on it. That's true. I think that comes with experience too is the more that you hunt like that the more similar to what peyton's saying the more confident you get in your first initial instinct like um having that grass is always geared on the other side can be dangerous because you get in more situations where you're willing to like push further and further and further and in a place like we hunt in oklahoma where the sign is sparse maybe that's okay right you're going to keep pushing until you bump something or you find something you know, and that it's on public. So that's having that aggressive strategy is good, but a place like Kansas, um, or maybe a more of a Midwestern state where things are more defined sign is easier to see. It's more apparent. I would be less inclined to do that. Um, looking for something better or keep pushing and yeah, ultimately it can mess up your hunt and it probably will. Cause if you're finding a good sign, eventually you're probably going to run into a deer, but that's the thing in Kansas, you can see more like, what if it is at least where we're hunting in Kansas, it's just these little strips of timber. So even if you set up in the strips of timber, you can still kind of see like, okay, what's using the field and all that stuff. And, but down there, it's like deer could be 50 yards away from me, or it could be half a mile from me. I have no earthly idea. And so like, that's, that's what plays with my head more than anything. It's just like, I, because there it's pretty low density, like low deer density. So it's just like one of those things, like, if I'm not in the chips, I want to move. And I think that's what makes me want to move. And that's why in the last couple of seasons, I think that's why we all kind of did the last couple of seasons. Uh, and we, we kind of set up on, on the same spots 
me and Carol ventured out the last few sits last season just because we're like, might as well. And what happened, Carol? Saw more deer in one exactly. sit than we did all week. Yeah. Combined. We weren't up in the tree 30, 45 minutes. Carol was getting blown at. I heard something behind me. I turn and look, and all, and all of a sudden, two deer are just looking at me, and they blow and run off. And it's just like, well, this is good to know our last, our very last set of the trip. Yeah. So yeah. I, I have a question. Sorry to interrupt you. It's it? for both of y'all. Most of the time, when you're walking in a new area, do you usually? Okay, obviously you're looking for sign, but does jumping a deer? So bumping a deer as you're walking through, looking for a place to sit, does that trump sign in your eyes? It does for me. Mm-hmm. Deer leave. I, I always use the, the phrase like "deer leave clues." Signs are clues, so, or sign is is a clue. It's not a guarantee, right? You might find an amazing rub line and not see a deer for weeks if you sit there. But if you see a deer, that's the best confirmation I can ever have for that this spot is worth a crap. I don't know how many times I've walked into the community center and seen a doe standing 10 yards from my tree. And I'm like, well, you're going to have to leave because I'm sitting here. You know, like this is the spot to be. So I think I think it definitely trumps sign. That's what you're looking for. Looking for deer. Kind of sucks when they run off, but... Yeah, I would say seeing deer would probably be. I mean, that's as close <laughs> yeah. as you're gonna get. So yeah, I, I would definitely uh, stop what I'm doing and probably set up camp there. If it's that a doe, it kind of it kind of pumps me up. But if it's like a, I'm like, oh, just a doe, you know, whatever. Like, there's deer here. But if it was a big buck, I would feel differently about it. Like yeah. I messed up. Well, that's what happened. Uh, I'm trying to to describe the the place without saying any names. The place I. Uh, shot that one behind the shoulder. Couldn't find. Yeah. So that instance, you know, where you sit that day, but a little bit down, and we hung a couple cameras, and one of them got yoinked there. Mm-hmm. That's how we kind of. That's how I started first sitting in the and 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 that spot was I was walking down there just just to walk and follow that little creek or that little dried up creek, and out popped. I'd probably say. Now, looking back, I'd probably say he's about 120, 125 inch buck with the doe, just jumps and, and skedaddles and ended up sitting there. And the last, the next few weeks or weekends, because that was when we were, uh, I think, I think we we just started going there every week in October and seen two little bucks. And then that's when I shot my first public land doe, that same spot. I'm pretty sure. It if is. the timeline's correct. Yeah. It is. So what would you what would you want to leave people with to to take away from the scenario that we just um we just laid out and kind of talked about for 25 minutes? Do that what would you leave them with? Just to kind of summarize. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to work. That's what I would say. Peyton, you got any closing remarks before we jump into Q&A? I don't have a catchphrase like Dave, but <laughs> <laughs> quick on his feet to Google one real quick. <laughs> um, you know? But no, I would just say, look around. I mean, find your confidence. Mm. That's if a good you're not one. Confidence in it. 
if I'm not confident, I don't even try. I if I I would rather go back <laughs> so to the true. truck. I if I would rather go back to the truck if I'm not confident in it and just say, all right, well, I'm gonna use the morning finding something I will have confidence in. My confidence usually runs in a shape of twelve ounces and it says bush apple. Mm. That's usually my confidence. I thought, you're say confidence. Red, I thought you were gonna say Red Bull. That no, was my confidence. No. No. Mm. I I would leave the listener with the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Mm. Sometimes good is good enough. Like if you Abraham find Abraham Lincoln say that, that is an Abraham Lincoln quote. Okay. Just kidding. Um, if you find rubs, scrapes, trails, tracks, guess what? There's probably deer there and you don't need to keep looking. Once you it's find use it things, at some point, it'll yeah. probably use it again. It's used it at some point. That's how I deer leave clues. Don't, don't push too hard. Depending on your situation, like we said, it's extremely situational. It's hard to say one size fits all because it doesn't. But if you find those things, be confident and just hunt. Figure it out. And it's not always too good to be true, right? Like in Kansas, we found possibly our best spot 200 yards off a road. Right. And you think, oh, deer shouldn't use this. It it doesn't always have to be too good to be true. Try it. And if you guys want to know exactly where Carol is talking about, you can leave us a five-star rating on the Apple podcast podcast app and leave us a great review and then share this with a friend. And then Carol will personally DM you the coordinates. That's right. Like he says, if he he runs into a guy, just go ahead and get up on the tree with him. He didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're going to find me anyways. Might as well get a review out of it. Just follow the uh, trail of used toilet paper and you'll find Carol. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Q&A time. (laughs) Here we go. All right, let's move into Q&A. So we have our good friend. This is a repeat offender on the Q&A. I see this guy's questions pretty often. Daniel underscore Vans 76. He says, when hunting public, how many sits do you give a spot until you move? I shouldn't be asking either of you guys. You guys are so far. (laughs) So far, I have set in every spot until I kill a 210 inch deer (laughs) because I have yet to move. I'm in the same boat. (laughs) I'll tell you when you move, when you see flashlights walking in on you in the morning, that's when it's time to move. Mm -hmm. It's always a good one. Jake, how many sits do you give it? Previously, all season. Next year, I'm going to try to give it like two, maybe three. I th- Yeah, I think that's where I'm going to draw the line of a, a morning, evening, and maybe another morning and pull and move. That way you're just not venturing into a new spot at night. You can do it the next yeah. evening. Yeah. Yeah. Morning, evening, then morning move. It depends how many, if, if it, he didn't specify if you're seeing deer or not. If I'm seeing deer and I have the good access, I'll keep hunting it. But especially on public, but so that's, that's tricky. And most people don't leave deer to find deer, but in certain cases, I think it's more beneficial to leave the deer depending on the time of year. Cause if it's like early October or mid October, something like that, and you're seeing deer like a few does, cause that happened in 2020, I seen a few does and then down there they blow left and right for no reason. And I, I heard blowing off in a general direction and you move and that tree ended up having what, like five or six bucks out of our group, getting, getting arrows flung at it. 
And it's yep. just like one of those things that, but during the rut, if you see does, you park your happy butt there, I think. I agree. Two sits. Two sits if you're not seeing anything from me. Two sits. Two. You can always go back and try it again. But like we said, your first oppor- your your first sit in a place is probably your best opportunity to get it. And if you use the right access and the right wind, two. And if you're how still do, not seeing anything. How do you all feel about hanging in a new spot in the morning? I don't mind doing that, but it always seems like I get it in the tree and I'm facing the wrong direction or something. <laughs> yeah. Carol? It's okay. I feel the same way. <laughs> or I get turned around and I'm like, yeah, I wasn't uh, anywhere close to where I thought I was. My first sit in the video that we just posted, you can see that my first sit, I'm like, I'm just about 75 yards out of the action. I was like way off where I thought I was sitting and I got up in the tree and I was like, oh, there's my tree over there. <laughs> like it was like 75 yards away. That happens sometimes. New spots in the morning are hard. I would say evenings are probably better for new spots. Qu- question number two. Yeah, I I just I had a brain fart and I'm just now pulling it up. Wow. Be easy with brain fart. I was wrote up one time for saying that. At work? Were you really? Yeah, it was a fun one. I hope you're kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> oh, God. Who was that handsome hey, fellow? What's the question? How do you determine how many cameras to run? I hunt private and on a new farm this year. Who asked that? Seth Basket. Carol, what do you got for him? How many cameras? <laughs> I have no idea however many you're confident with. I mean, if you want one on every other tree, go for it. But, I mean, I don't know. I would just take a look at your land in the off season and see where your prime time spots are. You know, if you have one, run one. If you have ten, run ten. Depending see, on your you... schedule, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Jake Gaylord? What do you think? Uh, yeah, depending on how much time you have. I would say, and depending on how, how much land you're talking about. So if you own like 20 acres, you probably don't need 20 cameras out there. And how often are you wanting to check them? Like what's your, what's your strategy? Are you wanting to leave them for year round surveillance where you can pull it in the springtime or uh, maybe midsummer and check and see when the deer were using it, you know, during October, November, December, like all that good stuff. And you're trying to like do that or are you trying to just, get get your MRI, your most recent information, and trying to bag a buck that way. And if that's the case, if you're using SD cameras, you probably want to switch cell cameras, limit human intrusion, and just stuff like that. So, I don't know. It's whatever's comfortable for you and kind of what you're trying to do. I mean, I know that's kind of a vague answer, but it is what it is. What do you think, Christy? I think it's probably pretty individual for your goals. I mean, if you're just happy seeing deer... um and you're not after a particular buck, you probably don't need very many cameras. Um, if you're after um, a particular buck on your place, you might consider running more. You know, for instance, we have a 110 acre lease. We run, we have four cameras on there. We have three cell cams and we have one at regular SD cam. I feel like that covers 90% of the property that we care about looking at. That's for our individual property and how it sets up. But for instance, us on public, we have a very different strategy. 
we run 20 plus cameras, you know, every single camera that we have, we will put out. Why? Because they never get pictures while they're in your closet or in a box. So, I mean, it's one of those things where you just say, how many cameras do I need? As many as you need, you know, that's just, that's pretty much how, how I uh, think about it on a private or on public. I say as many as you can. Um, but on private, really every single property is, is different. I would say at least a couple on a private piece, even if it was only 10 acres, I'd probably run a couple cameras. And plus with batteries this cheap, you might as well just run them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Tanner Hassan five question. Number three, he asks how to get started in saddle hunting. Well, first you spend $500. Cause that's literally what I just did today. So I'm a bad person for this. No, that's not. That's before you bought your platform. <laughs> Thank you. You spent you spent six hundred and fifty dollars today. Then yes. does that make you feel better? And then I just now spent two hundred on arrows. Good for you. All to chase an animal. Screw Carol, me. how do you get started saddle hunting? I don't want to go <laughs> hunting anymore. You add it to your cart and hit checkout. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty. That's typically the first step. Um, then, you know, opening morning, you set up in a tree. I, I, I haven't saddle hunted yet, so we'll, we'll see. I can probably give you a better answer at the end of the year. I have a really good answer. Actually, if you, if you're interested in getting into saddle hunting, go to the hunters advantage YouTube and you'll see a thumbnail with Christian or at Christian Babcock's, uh, ugly face in it. And I don't know the, the video title offhand, but. Five, five a, reasons I switched to a saddle. That's a good first step. Yeah, watch that video. But realistically speaking, besides buying a saddle, it's not all that different if you've done the hang on tree stand thing. If you're going to, but one thing that people need to understand if you're going to buy a saddle, you need climbing sticks. So don't just buy a saddle and be like, oh, I'm ready to go. You know, no, you need climbing sticks. <laughs> you need a platform. You need a saddle. Uh, you need a lineman's belt. You need a tether. Need a con- you hear me saying all these things? It's very complicated. Uh, so, the amount of things you need. Yeah, yeah they advertise it like, oh, it's a four hundred dollars hundred four hundred dollar saddle. No, it's eight hundred dollars setup. Is what it is. So, <laughs> did that setup I just ordered because you were watching me? Does that come with the lineman's belt and stuff? Yes. Okay. Thank God. What what saddle did he got? I'm sure he got a cruiser, but what platform did he get? He got the uh, the Ridge Runner two point out on a limb. That's all you can. That's all you can do is get get up in the tree. I mean, I don't know if you're wondering how how different it is. It's definitely different when you get up in the when you sit down and on the first time and you're hanging off the tree by a rope and you're kind of hoping, "Am I clipped in? Please don't break." Carol, what did you think the first time you leaned back in your saddle the other day? Wasn't it a little bit of sketchy? Yeah, I th- my first thought was, "Thank God I got insurance." <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you're only six foot off the ground (laughs) yeah i mean that just might be all that it takes i might just take a saddle and hunt two foot off the ground um but yeah it's it's a little weird but at the same time i hunted with a climber without a safety harness for a little while so i've i've really uh you've lived on the edge yeah i've lived on the edge so that was uh, a little different how much more efficient is it like is it really like does it live up to the hype so I think the main, there's a few, I talked about on that YouTube video, but there's a few main advantages to the saddle in my mind. One is the packability. See, that's, the that's the only reason I bought it. So 
I think packability is one of the most important things because you think about it when you're putting a hang on on your back. One, it's usually too big to strap to your backpack. And two, it um, it usually overhangs the bag or in catches on things when you're walking through the woods. And three, a lot of times you'll have to put straps above your backpack straps to, um, you know, to walk through the woods and it's uncomfortable, but with a saddle, you've got your sticks, you're wearing your saddle into the tree, you know? So you got that. And then you have a platform that's this big on your back. So in my mind, it's pretty awesome. It's packable. It, there is some weight savings with the saddle, and then another thing that people usually don't consider with the saddle is it's pretty safe because you're always connected to the tree. I know you can run a lineman's belt on a regular harness when you're crawling or crawling up the tree with hunting out of a hang on, but most people don't. Yeah, I know Carol shaking his head. Most people do not do that with a saddle. Your lineman's belt always there. So by the time you take your first step off the ground to the time your tethers on the tree, you're hooked up. And unless that rope breaks, you're good. If so that's the case. My ass is suing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what were the what were the five reasons we we talked about it when we did that video? It was packability. I don't weight remember. Savings. All, I, all I remember from that video is just Justin, Jared, and Jordan honking as they drive down the road. That's true. It's, That's it's not as much weight savings as you would think. Well, it depends. It depends what climber you have because I have a pretty, very expensive climber. It's only like twenty two pounds, like Viper SD or something. So I don't save a lot. I don't save a lot of weight after the sticks, after the platform, after all that. I probably save like, I would say maybe like four pounds, which is a lot, you know, if you're walking pretty far, but. But that's the thing. It's not even the weight that kind of bothers me. And I don't want to sound like I'm David Goggins and I, and I can pull out, pull out a, a whole deer on my shoulders walking out. No, but my thing is like my old climber, because down there climbers, if you can get the climber to the tree, your money, you get a comfortable setup. All those trees are slick as pencils and you know, it's, it's super easy, but walking in, that's what sucks because clink, clink, I had it on top. Yeah, clink. there's that. And <laughs> mine's, mine's like an old hand-me-down. So it's like, it's like, they're not even stealth strips or those little stealth ties or whatever. It's just like bungee cords that hold it together. And then I have like strings as like backpack things and I throw them on my shoulders and yeah, it clinks. But it also sticks out, and then uh, my head basically has to look down the whole time I'm walking. Yeah. Because mo most of the time, I got my camera gear in my bag and all that crap, so my bag's rather full. And so it just props it up where I have to look down the whole time I walk. And it's just like I'm literally counting my steps, and I want to off myself. That's true. Have you have you guys ever done like the the maternity bag where you put your bag on your front side and clip it behind you so you can carry your your climber on the back and your bag on the front and you like, it's like you have a police vest on. So what I do is I put my climber on and actually put my bag on my climber. Cause I have the bungees that go across and it's, it actually works very well. It's just the climber is huge. And if I go to turn, if I want to look over, I have to, like, you right. can't turn your neck. You have to like completely like waddle over <laughs> and look. And look like a 90 year old man with like neck problems. Exactly. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, the only thing I'm worried about is the time for me to get set up might take me a little while longer because I can shimmy up in a climber. I don't know about it. <laughs> That's going to come with time, though, I think. Like, the more you do it, the quicker you're going to be. Because my first time in a, in a climber, God, it probably took me 20 minutes to get everything set up. But 
I don't know. I I just looked back at that video that we made, and the, the five reasons we switched was packability, weight savings, decreased setup time, increased shot opportunity, and mobility. And the, it's a decreased setup time from a hang-on. It's not decreased from the climber. Obviously, the climber is always probably going to be the quickest, right? You get two straps around the tree and you roll up. Yeah. Um, but if you're talking about from a hang-on, when you get to your top stick on a hang-on and you're trying to put that sucker on the tree, especially with that alignment's belt, you're hanging off the tree with one arm and you're like trying to wrap it around, trying to cinch it down. With that uh, saddle platform, it's one little strap around the tree. Once you have it, you cinch it down, up, cam over, and it's on. And then you just step up onto it. And you only need a platform that's, you know, a foot wide instead of two foot wide and four foot long, two, three foot long. So that, what do you call that thing? The accessory you made me order with the. the I still haven't ordered the dot com either. It, it, I don't know if it's called an ascender or what it is, but. Does that, do you have one of those on your lineman's belt as well? No, but I'm going to order one. Or, okay, then how did your lineman's belt work as of right now? It's a this, Prusik knot. It's a Prusik knot. So, so what? So what was attached to Carol's uh, tether? Tether, exactly. Okay. Yeah. I so have an order. You're talking about like, is it the duck duck Kong or something? Kong duck, duck Kong, two. Kong, Kong, I think. Kong duck. Yeah. I I, uh, I still haven't ordered one of those, but they're worth it because that Prusik knot is a is a mother. When you're on the tree and you're trying to like put your weight up off the line so you can like get weight out of the Prusik knot and pull it down. You have to get the weight off the line for the knot to loosen, right? Cause the, the knot tightens by you, the pressure on it. Mm-hmm. So that's why the Kong duck is so awesome. Cause you can just pull on the line and it goes up. And then when you lean back, those teeth bite into the line. Okay. It's pretty okay. awesome. What do we got for story? Number four. Hopefully that's a good enough intro into saddle hunting. Uh, Daniel Vans is, as well he said funniest camping stories hmm i I got mine carol what you got for me personally no for for your grandma yes for you personally like as in this (laughs) well my favorite is the the sharks at 3 a.m oh when we're all in that tent yeah yeah that that, that was that, that was, gonna was be probably mine, the yeah. most funny one where i just like woke up in the middle of the night this is because okay so a little backstory we all take turns with the campfire well dave doesn't ever help out with the campfire christian and i keep this thing going 24 7 well high. well 21 you know 20 21 hours and jake literally has to do one thing well okay Anyways, Jake did take care of the campfire. Fake it's news. Freezing. Fake news. It is freezing. That's the, this is the same night that it is not only like 30 degrees, but it is just absolutely pouring. And dude, it just <laughs> didn't me. even have the damn uh, wall tent then. It just. We had oh, the yeah. buddy heater. No. When, when, I, when no we had to go. Shucking wood into that thing. When I had to go was when I had my Crocs on and we were all there. All of us were on this camping trips when I had to go. And had to go in the middle of the night while it was just absolutely piss poor raining. When you gotta go, man, you just gotta go. Toilet paper was wet. I was wet. <laughs> I was cold. I had shorts and a t-shirt on. Thirty degrees, getting rained on. Yeah, it was not a good time. Toilet paper mm. turned into dude wipes real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about yours, Jake? When you first started the story, Carol, I thought it was going to be the. Uh, we were thinking the same one, but I guess not. This was in 2020 when we were still sleeping in that little three so-called three-man tent, but it ended up being like a one-person tent comfortably. And we had Carol on a cot. I had me on like a little backcountry 
no, no, no. Christian was on a uh, air mattress, and this top top of the tent was mesh. We found that out uh, later in the night. But we had this this buddy heater cranked on high, and we like throughout the night we already burned through like two propane bottles, which those propane bottles aren't very big. I still haven't fell asleep yet, and it was I don't know, it's probably twelve thirty one maybe, and uh, Carol just kind of leans up from his cot. And then just kind of turns and starts getting out. And, and I'm like, what are you doing? Don't know what was said. Turn, it turns out you had to go take a poop. And it was like, it was cold. It was cold, cold that night. And it was like one of those things that it had to have been serious because it was so cold. We were all like freezing in a little three-man tent with the buddy heater on high. And I was like, there ain't no way in heck I would get out there and even take a piss. Because I had to take a piss. And I was like, I'm not even going out there to take a piss. Yet alone, Carol got up, stepped over everybody. To go outside at like one or two. I don't know what time it was, but it was night and it was cold just to take a crap. And I thought that was pretty funny. I came back in. Christian was on the ground because <laughs> he had ran out of air. <laughs> His air mattress. He brought. So, no, listen, uh, this is like it was so cold. You were in sweats and you had two blankets. Well, Christian had a blanket that he couldn't even fit in. It was either his nip nipples are hanging out or his feet were hanging out. Either one. He he didn't he then he was like Dude, and Christian hey, has those big sausage nipples. Hey, so it's like do you, do you guys have a pillow? Hey, do you guys have a blanket? We're like, no, bring your own bring your own crap, dude. Come on. And he was like, How are we gonna blow up this air mattress? And it was just yeah, it was an absolute crap show. By the and way. And then I just remember hearing the buddy heater clicking off in the middle of the night thinking, Oh good God, we're out. We're <laughs> out. We were. Yeah. No, the best thing about the buddy heater going off was you would wake up within five minutes if that heat wasn't yeah. on. You'd be That's like, true. Yeah, you, you would you would get cold and you'd hear click, 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 because you knew somebody was trying <laughs> to turn Jake's, it back on. Jake's up looking like like a couple natives around a fire going, <laughs> Oh, BS. No, I don't do anything. Remember? That's what Carol said. I don't do anything. Brings the heat in the camp. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I brought a, by the way, I bought eight bottles of that propane the other day at academy 80 dollars worth of propane i bought those little ones those i am not going ones? without yeah they're ten dollars a piece might as well they, they used to be four the they used to be $4 i remember that they used to be four dollars a piece but uh Thanks, anyways danny when i stayed with him um when we were down there hunting and you guys had left i he had one that ran off actual propane bottles and that might actually be the way to go i have so i have the adapter for that okay i have that adapter I, that might be the way to go because you can go get a whole propane thing and danny was saying like hey this will last you a whole week and that's like twenty dollars twenty five dollars so for a refill. if you yeah if yeah you for, for buy the can and everything from the the uh the gas station that they were oh i'm sure you have like 30 of them <laughs> those little canisters or what no 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 oh those big canisters no the, the gallon, i was giving christian crap because remember that one time he he went in there and he bought one of those big canisters and it was like what was it like 80 bucks Oh no! It was like seventy something dollars. It made me so angry. Mm -hmm. They mark them up. <laughs> they used it the just places. to cook like three burgers, and then the next day they were open, and we were like, "Okay, let's just eat fast food now." <laughs> okay, so I was thinking of a funny camping story. Um, last uh, last winter, it was mid December when Justin, Jordan, Jared, and I went to Nebraska to mule deer hunt. Um, you mean camp? Yeah, to camp pretty much. When we went <laughs> up there, uh, we didn't bring the stove because when Justin picked up the 
the wall tent, he thought that the stove with four legs was in the box with the tent. And I'm like, dude, no, the tent's huge. Like you're not fitting a stove in the same box as the tent. So we got all the way up there. And when we got up there, it was, it was like in like the single digits, but there was like 60 mile an hour winds. And we, it took us like three hours to get the wall tent, um, put up and you know, the wall tent's like an oven, but still with like, we ran the propane burners to cook on. We ran those at night to keep warm. And similar to me, Justin was like, I hate the, I hate the cot, you know, I need an air mattress because air mattresses are more comfortable if they'll stay inflated, but they don't stay inflated. That's the issue. And in the middle of the night, uh, or one morning, Jordan and Jerry came in with coffee and we're like ready to go. And I look over at Justin and his air mattress was like this, his head and pillow were on the ground. He was on the <laughs> ground asleep and his feet were elevated. I swear like two and a half, three feet above his head. And he woke up and he was like, Oh, <laughs> he was completely like at like a 45 degree angle. He had slept like that all night. Because his mattress had slowly let out air. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> Poor Justin. That's that the day he though, had man. to get a Tempur-Pedic. I tell you what, we go on these camping trips. And he, he, he's a chef. Yeah, he's a chef. Gordon Ramsay would be proud. What in the bloody hell? All right, outdoorsman. Oh, wait, no, no. Outdoor dot person dot 26 says deer ducking arrow have you had a lot of deer you have shot drop quite a bit to where you're not sure you hit the vitals in the moment of your shot <laughs> yes yeah the one uh the public land deer that we shot up or i shot at when we went to the oklahoma state game around that time I remember that one. Caw. <sighs> yeah. Caw, dude. Yeah. I'm just going to say it because I've never gone back to that. But yeah. <laughs> Poop that shoot. One. But yeah. Well, I made an entire YouTube video about this. Um, yeah. And you can't. I I disagree. I, I don't think you should always aim low. I think it's okay. Like if you set your bow like an inch low. Carol, you don't pissed off people about a crossbow, so you don't need to. And really now you're going to come in here yeah. and say you shouldn't aim low. You, now you're going to argue about shot placement. Can, I am. I'm, I am about mid knee underneath him. <laughs> Wait, do you really? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't think you. I mean, you I can't, let Jesus not, take the wheel. Not every deer is going to duck, but yeah, I, I don't think you. Should not every deer is going to duck. Are they going to jump? Good. If I'm shooting at them, they could. But. You don't aim mid knee because after the YouTube videos that I watch on the deer that don't duck, you hit them. You are punched them. Yeah, and, and then they walk around being all tripod like. That's fine too. <laughs> I am. I aim low. I mean, so this is my motto: twenty and in. I I'm pretty true on the places that I aim because it seems like they can still react. Remember Curly Jake when I shot him at seventeen yards? He was ducking he when I shot. Um, but 20 and in, I'll aim maybe an inch or two low. So pretty much heart, heart. And, but the further the deer is out from me, the more I aim low. For instance, this, the buck I shot on public in 2020, 40, 40 plus yards. I aimed pretty much bottom of the brisket on behind the shoulder. 
at the, on that shot and still ended up hitting him probably a little bit high. So, I, in my opinion, oh yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. need to get you a Bowtech or an Elite if that's the case. Well, I, I see why you have to aim low because you used to shoot Matthew. So yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, you weren't using a Triax in twenty twenty, were you? Yeah, was. were you? Okay. Yeah, I just got my Prime last year. Huh. Yeah, didn't have to aim low on those, did you? You didn't duck, exactly. Did they? Quiet, exactly. Fast. Matthews is the problem, not the shot placement. It's not the shot placement. It's the bow. Matthews is a problem. Yeah, deer duck though. There's no argument that deer that deer duck. No, yeah, they they deer do. But you can't you can't always account for them ducking. I mean, you can't always. It's not always going to happen. No. So let's say, let's say thirty five yards, broadside looking away. Where are you aiming? On the heart. Broadside looking away. If it Broadside if it ducks away. if it ducks third. like if it ducks so much that its stomach touches the ground, yes, you're going to shoot high. If it ducks a little, you're still going to dub, double lung. I mean, mm-hmm. okay. So what about broadside, fully alert, looking at you and the bucks broadside, but you have six doe or three doe looking at you, just stomping and basically blowing at you, but everybody's at that standpoint where everything's on alert, everything's looking at you, but the deer's broadside, where are you aiming? Because you know, as soon as you release that shot, they're going to react. So where are you aiming on that? I'm aiming at the heart. (laughs) I'm always always aiming at the heart. So it really doesn't change unless it's like 10, 15 yards. No, a duck or a deer really, really has to duck. I mean, it has to stomach touch the ground if you're not going to double lung it. If you make a good shot, and it ducks, it really, really has to duck for you to not double on it. I ain't want to call. I, I just messed. I, I put a terrible shot. It ducked probably just, I don't know, three or four inches, but that was because it was a bad shot. I can't blame that on the ducking. Now, Jared Hayes had a similar experience too because that was like 2016, I think, or 2017. Big, wide pencil horn rack. And he said he it was like at 15 yards or 20 yards maybe and said the thing. I, I don't remember if he said if it was fully alert or whether it was relaxed, but, it, but he said he, he uh, that deer ducked and he ended up backstrapping it. The deer that I shot last year literally had – it was at 45 yards and it would have been a awesome shot placement, but I hit it in the butt because it took off running. It has – you can't account. What am I supposed to do? Aim three foot in front of it in case hey, it's taking off. Running. Hitting in the, butt. the deer, oh. the deer, the deer before that, the seven that I set in your tree took off running as soon as I shot. You don't account for. There's so many things that a deer can do. Is it going to take off running? Is it going to duck? Is it what's it going to do? Just. I think the assumption is just to put it on the heart. If it ducks, you'd have to make a pretty awful shot, or it'd have to really, really duck for you to not at least double on it. I agree, but a if you hit it in the rump, that's not called like a butt shot or anything. It's called a back shoulder shot. Back shoulder. I thought that was the Texas heart shot. That's if you almost hit it in the butthole. Mm, okay. I think I think deer duck most times. If you slowed it down a lot with in your footage, you're gonna notice that even if it's a micro flinch, like an inch, they move down a little bit. And if you look at that funky buck, uh, the YouTube video, when I shot him, I hit him like lower third, but you can see in the video, he does not move an inch, like does not move. 
and I smoked him in that spot. If he would have ducked, I still would have been good. But that's why I put it in that lower third right behind the shoulder because, like Peyton's so, saying, you're good either way. So that that film you just released, you were aiming for the lower third on your public book? That was a little different scenario, but yes, I that's what I was trying to do. But did you notice on that public buck, if you if you watch the slow-mo footage, he ducks. Like mm-hmm. he starts to come down and I shot him with my 20-yard pin, he was at 27. If he wouldn't have ducked, I would have probably just skimmed the bottom of him. You see, well the only reason I bring that up because like that's my worst fear is because I didn't to be honest, I didn't know he ducked or I guess I didn't remember that he ducked. And so that's why I thought you hit him I, looking at it, it doesn't look like it's hit low, but I mean, after it's all said and done, it was hit a little low, right? And like that's my biggest fear is aiming too low and then not hitting like it was a lethal shot, but not, you know, just having that mediocre track job. But think about that's, this. That's, think about that's this. my big fear. If you hit a deer low, the likelihood of you finding it is a lot better than if you hit a deer high. I agree. If you shish kebab a deer, well, it depends. It it depends. Like how when you say high, if you shoot above the heart, you're still double lining. lining. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking you about if you're, to gonna, make, if you're gonna. It miss. has to be. There's difference between ducking and their in their stomach hitting the ground. If you're gonna miss, if you're gonna know, miss, that spine's pretty freaking big. <laughs> I'm just if, if you're gonna miss, would you rather miss low or would you rather miss high? Say say you aim in the very middle. You're right behind the shoulder, center mass. Would you rather miss three inches high? Or start, let's just say they're both four inches high, so above the let's spine. Let's just say or it, four inches above, above the lungs, below the spine. That's just you're not you're just gonna backstrap meat. But yeah, you could you could gut them, and you have a better chance of finding and killing the deer low. But at the same time, like you have a lot of room to work with that heart. You have a foot and a half. About between the heart and, and the lungs, you got a you got a foot between you know of heart and lung. They really really have to duck. Now a fifty yard shot, I don't I don't know because I don't make those shots. Now like like forty and fifty, I would probably I'd probably go like a little low. But I I'm not like the one that would. And I know you're not either, Christian. But I'm not the one that like okay at a forty or fifty yard shot, I'm not going to aim lower than the deer is if it wouldn't flinch or duck. I'm never going to put it on the deer where it's not on something, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm never going to put it off the deer, but I will. I have put my pin in a non-lethal spot on a deer and shot an arrow before because I'm that confident in the deer ducking. And I know if I'm going to miss, I would rather miss low because what is it? If you shoot a deer low and you hit them, you know, under the rib cage, I don't know why. I don't know if it's gravity or what it is. But deer like that act really hurt. Deer like that that I've shot low, like they run, they're like, ah, you know, they're bleeding pretty good. They'll lay down. I'm sure if you hit a deer high, (laughs) yeah. If you hit a deer high and you shish kebab them, they run off like nothing happened a lot of times. I don't know why that is, but I would all, that's why I don't mind shooting low because if they don't duck and I hit them a little low, my likelihood of recovering them is a heck of a lot better than if they, than I aim center mass and they duck and I shish kebab them. If I shish kebab them, zero percent chance if i hit him low you I get a better good. blood yeah i mean that heart's low pretty well, low too. too like if you really look at the anatomy of the deer that heart is it, it's super low I mean, well look at the deer i shot last year that it was only two three inches above the belly line you know yeah, yeah. i mean that's that's where i'm 
right behind that front shoulder. I don't, a lot of people like to like to go for those double lung shots, middle, you know, right above the heart, double lung shot. I, now there's a lot of, you know, room for error on that. But if you aim at the heart, that deer really has to duck for you to not hit something vital. At least the lungs are. I wouldn't say that as like, like a diss or anything saying you made a bad shot or anything like that. I, from, from what I remember, I thought you shot and then you saying you aim low on all, on, on most of the deer. I just, for some reason I was thinking that deer didn't duck. And so I was like, that's, that's, that's my, that's my problem is like, I don't want like, cause too low's too low. I think to a certain extent, I mean, because I've shot a doe too low on a piece of private and I have it on, I have it on footage too, but granted it hit like maybe just a little bit above the wide of her belly, but like, and I never found it. And like, that's just one of the things I mean, and it's situational because if you flip those rolls and you make it high, a little bit too high, you're not coming away with the deer either. So it's just one of those things. Probably has their own experience. Like some people might say, Oh, I don't mind this <laughs> a little bit high or, you know, my experience is that. Yeah. I, I was going to say you had that one year where you just had awful, the worst luck I've ever seen anybody have when it comes to hunting where I can definitely see, Hey, I can definitely see where you aim low, but I haven't had that hope to God that doesn't happen to me. My, my two bad luck ones have, I have stopped the deer. They have looked at me right in my soul and took off running. (laughs) Yeah. At the same time that I shot where it was like, well, that was simultaneous. There's no way to stop. There's nothing I can do. I didn't shoot high. I didn't shoot low. I don't know. They just took off running. That deer wasn't there when the arrow got there. Yeah. I think it's good to put this all in perspective that we're trying to kill animals with a sharp stick and it's not always going to be perfect. Like if you aim in the behind the lungs every time and you shoot and you hope that the deer is going to die, you're going to notice quickly <laughs> that things happen. <laughs> Here's yeah. my problem too. So like we covered the, the vertical, I guess, line on it, but my thing is, and this is what I did in the past and heck I kind of, I guess I kind of still did a little bit. I tend to hug the shoulder a little bit too much, I think, because my worst fear is hitting it in the gut. I think that's everybody's worst fear is just gut shot in one. So to try to try to make that not happen, I tend to hug the shoulder more than I should. And sometimes that'll cost you, depending, I guess, on your setup or whatever. But how, how do you all feel about that? Do you think do you think you'd rather hug the shoulder than be too far back? If you don't get all the way through that shoulder, it's kind of a, it's going to be pretty tough. You can, uh, you can gut shot them and the, the, the deer's probably going to die. If you gut shot it, there's, it probably will. It most likely will. Yeah. It most likely will. Now it's just a, do I need to sit on this deer for four hours? Do I need to sit on this deer for 12 hours? Do I need to sit on this deer for 24 hours? You know, am I going to find it? Stuff like that. But you can also hit the liver before you hit the guts. So there's a lot of good stuff. Like the lung, if you look at the anatomy of a deer, a lung's pretty big. Yeah. I was going to say, it's like like basketball. So, I mean, you hit three, four inches behind the shoulder. You're still in the lungs. You hit six inches back. You might be like, Oh, I'm guts. You might be liver. You hit eight inches back. You might be guts and further back. Like there's a lot to, a lot of good stuff to hit. If you miss back, I'm not saying to miss back, but I'm usually two inches behind the shoulder. That's me. You would rather be, let's say, four to five inches more back than you would want to be versus hitting shoulder? 100%. You're not going to find a deer that you hit in the shoulder unless you get great penetration, but you will find one if you hit in the liver. 
it'll give you a good chance. And we also shoot, we also shoot expandables. So that's something to consider. Like if you're a fixed blade guy and you shoot a heavy arrow and you're a fixed blade guy, you might feel more comfortable. What we shoot, I don't think it's wise to hug the shoulder. If we're all shooting expandables, probably not a great idea. Number question number six, last question we have we have from CPTB underscore six seven. He says, How do you find the travel lane between bedding and feeding areas in the northeast swamp? I don't know if he's talking about northeast Oklahoma or northeast <laughs> United States. What what do you got for this man? How do you find a travel lane between I mean, bedding and feeding? <laughs> you have to go out and look, right? I mean, you can't just look on a map. It's not, it's not always as easy. I mean, you got to go out and you got to find them. I mean, how do we always find our bedding? Walk Nothing. through it. Yeah. Walk through it and like, Oh shoot. We know to not do this again. So, I mean, you got to get out and it, it you, you might have to hurt it once to benefit you in the future, you know, plenty more times. I don't, I don't really know any other way to answer that question besides go in between the bedding and the feeding that you're talking about and uh, look for those areas that are beat down. So grass laying down or areas where a deer has bedded down, which is just looks like matted grass. Um, looking for those areas, tracks, those sort of things. Like, I think yeah, that's stuff you, you just can't find on, you know, that's that's the dark horse of uh, Onyx. You can't find that stuff on Onyx. You got to get out there to find that. That's true. So get out between them bed and feeding and find them, baby. You got any opinion on that, Jake? That's about it. All right. Well, everybody, that wraps up episode number 115. Thank you guys for sticking with us so far. We have a new YouTube video. It's a hunt from last November. So go check that out on the YouTube. Make sure to leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple, whichever place you are listening. And we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Jesus loves you. Bye. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.